Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keeps his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your status. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed upon all your commandments. I will praise you with the upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his ways pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I will seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much and in all your riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes upon your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Deal bountifully with me, your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold the wondrous things of your law. I am a sojourner on this earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Hey, I think that's a good place to uh, be thankful for Psalm 119 in the Word of God. Amen. Amen. It was like a natural page-turning moment there. Mm. I love this song. You know what? Um, From Psalm 34. To the uh, to the average listener, probably sounds like that was really professionally planned. <laughs> but literally, we just thought of that three minutes ago. That was right <laughs> off the cuff. <laughs> Good. <laughs> read from one psalm. Read from Psalm 119, and then have Shane and Shane playing in the background. Oh, that's good stuff. Um, so, welcome to Gospel Defenders, episode 13. Welcome back, Andy, the Anchorman. Thank you. Glad to be back. We haven't seen you since, uh, I guess, before Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've seen him on Sundays. Well, I've true. Been here. True. Maybe not as Sundays. much on Wednesdays. Uh, yeah, but he's here. He's here. Had to work. You know, sometimes we have conflicts, and you know, sometimes business meetings come up, and <laughs> you I know, say anything. Ah, we got to give them a hard time. You know, you give the ones you love the most the hardest time, and that's true. That's why I pick on Robert constantly, literally every second that I'm alive. You know, <laughs> when you love people, you will you joke with them, you will play pranks on them, you'll hack their Facebook accounts. <laughs> You know, you'll do fun stuff like that because you you just love him so much. Kind of like we did Abe the Wave that time when we hacked his Facebook and put <laughs> "I like to be hold or held like a baby." <laughs> that was on his birthday status, by the way. Oh, that, that was, was terrific, wow. awesome. man! We miss you, Abe the Wave. Hope you're having a good day studying. Shout out to Abe, man! Thanks for all you do, by the way, for uh, the church and 
interning. He's 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 turning out to be all right. He's all right guy, you know. Get rid of a little bit of the pride, but other than that, he's doing good. There he is. Go ahead and call him out. Just call him out. You know, we do have, and all jokes aside, we have some amazing servants within the church, the local church here, and then, you know, just the people pouring out their time and their gifts that God has given them. And, you know, you couldn't be more thankful for the people that God has brought to friendship and then just to be able to serve alongside. Amen. 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 Today is a special day, Valentine's Day or St. Valentine's Day. Do you know who Valentine was, Andy? Uh, no. Robert? I'd know a little bit. He comes with the, the heart candies. Uh, you get the little card. No. Right. Little bow. Uh, little why don't you arrow. give us a little uh, church history? Well, it's funny how what I talked Sunday about the Greco-Roman mythology of love <coughs> is too often confused with Valentine, mm. who was an actual Christian pastor in the 3rd century. And uh, the emperor at that time um, outlawed marriage. Uh, he did not believe that, um, and, and one of the reasons is because Christians believe you had to be married in order for your relationship to be sanctioned. Mm. But the emperor outlawed marriage, so no one can get a certificate of marriage. Now, that didn't mean you couldn't, you know, you and, you and your bride go Shack get up. a house, whatever. Yeah. Um, but, you know, no one was able to do marriage ceremonies, no one able to have a certificate of marriage, so St. Valentine secretly did Christian wedding ceremonies because he believed the only way that God would bless that union was if it was done according to Scripture. Wow. And they found out, and actually Valentine was uh, tortured and beheaded because of his belief in the sanctity (laughs) of marriage. Wow. And I always see these funny memes going around saying, Hey, I was beheaded in the third century. I appreciate you remembering me by giving out chocolates and roses. <laughs> Enjoy your candy. Wow. <laughs> and no one even knows who St. Valentine was. Yeah. Same thing with St. Patrick's Day. I love St. Patrick. We should cover him in March. Oh, that, that would be good. March. Do a little St. Patty. You but, know, um, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, even like <clears throat> being uh, celebrating the agape love that you preached on Sunday was so powerful. And I know you did the Facebook Live, which we encourage everybody to be at the local church on Sunday, praising God, worshiping with the saints. But uh, it was absolutely amazing to see that the Facebook Live message that you shared, preaching on the agape love and the unconditional love that Christ gives and how that beautiful picture of the gospel between a husband and wife in our day and culture, timely message. It's what we need to hear because, like you said, everybody's more worried about the chocolates and the gifts and stuff like that today mm-hmm. and how they celebrate the love between a husband and a wife. But it's so much more, so much more. That's true. Well, today uh, for Gospel Defenders, episode 13, we're in a new year, 2017, and uh, we've been talking in our Wednesday night services about church history. And why would, we, why would we spend Wednesday nights talking about church history? Well, it's a pretty significant year. 2017 is the 500th year of the Reformation. Matter of fact, Robert, we should do a, uh, a G3 recap sometime on Gospel Defenders. Well, that would be good. Uh, today we don't have time to do that. Um, but as we've been talking about church history, one of the things we looked at recently was uh, how did the New Testament scriptures, meaning all the, the 27 books of the New Testament, how did that get uh, assimilated into what we call the canon 
of Scripture. And when we say the canon of Scripture, we're not talking about a, a large uh, gun-like apparatus with black powder in it. We're talking about uh, the canon is, is from the Latin word, which means standard mm-hmm. or rule. So did these 27 books meet the standard or the rule of what Scripture was? And actually, we had some really good questions when we covered this. Um, matter of fact, one of our brothers here, Gary, asked the question, since they don't know who was the author of Hebrews, mm-hmm. how did it meet the standard for being in the canon? Mm. And that was an excellent question, and we can mm-hmm. cover that here. Uh, remind <clears throat> me as we get there. But <clears throat> over the years, I've had a lot of people who discredit Christianity, uh, discredit the authority of the Bible because they claim that the Bible is a man-made document just like any other book. Um, actually, I saw something yesterday which says uh, the New Testament is simply the improvement, uh, the improvement of Judaism and Islam is simply the improvement of Christianity. So mm-hmm. it was saying that each one was building upon one another. Now, I would discredit that immediately Amen. Because Muhammad didn't even know yeah. what the New Testament scriptures taught. Mm-hmm. It's clear that he didn't understand what the Trinity actually was. Uh, he didn't understand what Jesus Christ claimed about himself. So that's kind of like saying um, the Book of Mormon is the improvement on Christianity when in reality the Book of Mormon cancels out what the New Testament says. All right, completely different things. Exactly. So a lot of people see that that Christianity... Uh, or the Bible was simply a man-made document that happened over time, you know, over the period of, and speaking of the New Testament, over the period of even centuries. I mean, some liberal scholars will claim that some of the New Testament documents did not appear until the end of the first century into the second century and, and you know, beyond. But when we look at the scriptures, there's some questions we have to ask about when these documents were written, and how did the church fathers know, how do we know that the church was using these books in the New Testament canon? So I would ask you guys this question. Let's say, you know, someone says, well, how do you know that what you have is God's word? How do you know it hasn't been changed? Hmm. You know, you know, how do you respond to that off the bat? That, that's a tough because it's your first initial reaction to it is to go to the Bible, right? And, and right. then and then flip pages and say, "See, because the Bible says so." Okay, but well, let's let's go that route for a minute. How? Let's say, why do you believe this is the Word of God? Well, I would naturally go to Second Timothy three sixteen, right? Mm-hmm. Which uh, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is, it is the, the Greek word is theonoustos, mm-hmm. God breathed. All scripture is breathed out by God, meaning it's not simply the dictation of man, but it was the Holy Spirit working through man to reveal his holy word. And then, you know, if you did that, they would say, well, you can't prove the Bible by using the Bible. Yeah, it becomes a circular argument. Now, Ray Comfort has a great response to that. If you want to prove that the president exists right now, if you want to prove that the president exists, where would you go? To the White House. To the president. Yeah. You would go to where, show them, yeah. You, you would go where he works. 
Hmm. Mm, there you go. You would go where he reveals his working, right? So in the same way, in order to prove the president exists, you go to where he works. You go to where he reveals his, um, uh, his le- legislation, you know, where he... Re- or, 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 or his power and authority. I mean, Correct. You, you, where is his power and authority being used? Hmm. And this is a great point of being uh, talking about the Reformation. We believe that the power and the authority of the church comes from the Word of God. The Scriptures. Mm-hmm. And so in order to prove God, you have to look where he was revealed himself. Now... Simply, we're not just saying, how do you prove God? We're talking about how do you um, know that the Bible is the Word of God. Right, not just something made up by man. Well, and right. this is this is huge. I mean, we're celebrating the 500 years of the Reformation, Sola Scriptura, you know, going through and finding out why there's 39 books of the Old Testament and 27 books of the New Testament, uh, how this canon, how these books came together, met that qualification of the rule, what the Founding Fathers said, hey, this is what we're going to hold to, sola scriptura. I mean, that's kind of like, have you ever had the question, why do we not carry the Apocrypha? Why did those books not meet? Those are good topics for discussion today. So i tell you what, Jesse, let's kind of like me and Andy, we'll play a little questions that we've received. Sure. And maybe you can kind of give some clarity. So let's start off with the first one of why 39 books of the Old Testament and 27 books of the New Testament. How do you think that canon came about? Yes, yeah, so if you remember back to our uh, series, our episodes that we did concerning Andy Stanley, he said that Christianity was not based on the Bible. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the New Testament, for example, take you know the book of Hebrews. Um, every chapter is quoting the Old Testament. They're showing mm-hmm. how the Old Testament proves Christianity. So that shows us that the early Christians knew that the Old Testament was Scripture. Right. All right. And, and, and we know that those 39 books were being used. Um, matter of fact, one of the biggest discoveries, I think, in the history of Christianity were the Dead Sea Scrolls. Mm-hmm. And matter of fact, I just found out that they have found a 12th cave mm-hmm. in the, the Qumran community where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. Now, in this cave, most of the clay jars had already been smashed and pillaged. Mm. But they did find some pieces of papyri or papyrus papers that they'd been sent off for testing. But there were 11 caves, uh, 11 caves where jars and jars, I mean, they're like three foot tall, mm-hmm. contained scrolls of the Old Testament. Mm. These jars contained every single uh, 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 scroll of the Old Testament, with the exception of Esther. Now, it's possibly that Esther could have been in another cave, or it's possibly that uh, Esther, who was uh, this particular community of Jews, maybe they thought of Esther differently. We don't know. But what we know is out of 39 books, 38 were present in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And what they could do is they could match the Dead Sea Scrolls, which I literally saw them in person back in 2000. Let me think about what year I got married. I uh, got married in 2005. Mm-hmm. I saw these in 2006 or seven in Charlotte, the Dead Sea Scrolls. And they can match and show that the same thing that was written 2,000 years ago is what is being translated into the Bibles that we have today. Mm. Um, so the Dead Sea Scrolls, I think, did a lot to show us that uh, uh, the Scriptures are faithful to the original languages. 
now <clears throat> this may be like I'm not going to try to get off topic. I'm going to try to stick on topic, but not to get into the circular argument. Um, something I do like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 when he's talking about what is the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection, uh, the eyewitness accounts that these people, uh, for the majority, are, are still here to the present day, that they're pertaining to the scriptures. Mm-hmm. When Paul's going through that argument, okay, if we were to like break it out logically of... Uh, who is Paul witnessing to? And they're writing these epistles, these letters, all mm-hmm. confirming the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Their eyewitness account to the Old Testament and what they said pointing to Christ being the Messiah, that these people were also being martyred for that cause. Right. So, like, in the New Testament, we see that these writers are, number one, using the Old Testament. Right. They're confirming the reliability of that. Mm-hmm. But then they're confirming the reliability of the New Testament, what Christ had revealed to them. Right. And willing to give up their lives. I would say there's something even to wait to that. That's pretty weighty to me as, you know, they're not speaking something new to the fact of what the Old Testament said. They're just revealing what Christ already said had been written about him. Right. So, um, you know, I heard the other day that the Quran is like half the size of the New Testament. Mm -hmm. So... You know, the Old Testament is 75% of your Bible. So what that tells us is, I mean, even if you have... See, see, the early church only had the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They didn't have all the, the Pauline epistles and, and uh, you know, the Gospels yet. I mean, these things came along, you know, 50, 60 A.D. But even if you had the Old Testament, I mean, they were proving Christ from the Old Testament. Matter of fact, it says that in Jesus, after his resurrection... He was walking along the road uh, to Emmaus. Isn't mm. that correct? Yeah, the road to Emmaus. Yeah. And uh, uh, they were these disciples were questioning. You know, can you believe what has happened? And Jesus says, "Do you not understand what the scriptures told you that the Son of Man must suffer, die, and be resurrected?" And he went to the Old Testament scriptures mm-hmm. and proved what his work accomplished using the Old Testament only. Mm. So that tells us right there, 75% of the Bible was already canonized by the time wow. Jesus was here. Mm-hmm. Okay? So, so one question is, do the New Testament books, do they confirm what the Old Testament says about, the, about Christ, about the Messiah, the Son of God? And every single one of them, the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people get confused for example, like Galatians, Romans, where Galatians is talking about the law no longer being in effect. And they're thinking that it, it, it says something different. Well, no, it doesn't say something different. It's showing what that law did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was the tutor which leads us to Christ. But once uh, um, Christ has come, we're no longer under the tutor. So it was for a period in the time of Israel's life, because a lot of the Old Testament is the law. Mm-hmm. But Jesus says, the law and the prophets point to me. Everything in the law and the prophets point to me. Right. Robert, have I told you about the two um, temple cleansings in, in the Gospels? No, I don't think so. All right, so one gospel says that Jesus cleansed the temple at the beginning of his ministry. Another gospel says that Jesus cleansed the temple at the end of his ministry. Okay? Now, I don't know if it's John and Matthew or which ones it is, but one person was pointing out that this is a discrepancy. One gospel says the beginning of his ministry, the other one says the end of his ministry. Well, which one could it be? 
Well, I heard a guy who was showing how those two different instances have different variables. And in the Old Testament, the job of a priest was to inspect a home if it had any type of uh, sickness, bacteria, mold, fungus. So if the priest walked into the house and it had some sort of fungus or bacteria, he would cleanse the whole house by washing it and would let it air dry. Okay, And after a time of air drying, the family could return. Now, it, it was a certain period of time where he would have to come back and inspect it later. And in, let's say in, in Leviticus, it was, I don't know, three months, six months. But mm-hmm. he would have to come back and inspect it again. If it had a, a fungus again, he would have to have that house condemned Mm. And he would have to say that this house is no longer able to be inhabited. So what happens at the beginning of his ministry? He goes into, he says, this is my father's house. Mm-hmm. This is my father's house. Wow. And he says, this is unclean. What's going on here is unclean. And then another gospel shows him coming back in at the end of his ministry. And what happens at the end of his ministry? Is that when he flips over the table and with the, uh, the whip and he's chasing the, uh, the exactly. people he, out of the, he the drives, temple? drives everything out. Yep. My father's house is not to be a house of merchandise. This would be his house of prayer. And he also says, not one stone will be left upon this temple. Mm. And, and, and then at the crucifixion, the veil was torn, mm-hmm. which what does that show us? That house no longer functioned anymore. And to that generation, there was not one stone that was not unturned in 70 AD. Yep, because... Destroy of the temple. From wow. that right. generation, destroying that it. house was condemned. It was destroyed. Man, that is... And he erected a new house. So you see, when you break it down, you see that everything in the Gospels... And, and, and I'm learning this a little more and more why different Gospels follow a little bit different patterns Mm -hmm. because they're showing us different facets. Like one is showing the law, but the other one is showing the prophets. And so they're following different things to show you that Jesus confirmed all the law and the prophets. I think that's probably sufficient time on the Old Testament because I think there's a lot of time we can spend on the New Testament. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, even uh, you think about the Gospels real quick, and I was just reading this the other day. And how, like, when Matthew starts his out his genealogy one way, mm-hmm. and then you go to Luke, and how in chapter three in Luke's gospel, he actually starts his gospel the opposite way when it comes to the genealogy. Mm-hmm. So, like, explain explain that. So you're saying Matthew and then Luke, right? Right, because the audience that Matthew was uh, trying to show that uh, Christ is the fulfilling promise uh, Messiah through the seed of Abraham. How he starts off his genealogy listening listening it, it this way. Mm-hmm. But if you go to Luke, and I think it's Luke chapter 3 when he starts his uh, genealogy, it actually starts from Christ going all the way down back to to Adam, to God. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at that, because I was uh, teaching a lesson on, on Noah from Genesis chapter 6, and I was trying to, and, you know, I tell the youth, when you're putting on your glasses and you're looking at the lens, what do you first see in Genesis? Well, the first promise is made in Genesis 3 after the fall that through this seed, how the Messiah would come. And the other was how the serpent twisted scripture, right? Mm-hmm. And so you saw two different seeds coming forth. And the one seed was, uh, when you think of like Cain, a- uh, Abel was already killed. He was murdered. Cain's seed carried forth. Mm-hmm. Well, who was the next seed to come through? 
Seth. Seth, that's right. So when you look at Luke's gospel and how in Luke's gospel and the genealogy, it comes all the way back through the line of Seth to Adam, mm-hmm. back to God. Because when they're mentioned in the two uh, forms in Genesis chapter 6, you're reading through and you see the sons of man, and then you see the sons of God. Hmm. Well, in Luke's gospel, when you're coming back, as it gets to Adam, then when it gets back to God, it says the sons of God. This is oh. the lineage. So it was Adam, showing, son of God. Exactly. It was showing that God was being faithful to what he would say to the promise that the seed would crush the head of the serpent. Right. So because in Luke, Matthew traces from Abraham, right? He does, yes, he, he does goes from go Abraham. All the way back he to starts Adam. at Abraham and goes to Christ. And right. that's showing God's faithfulness to Abraham, Abraham through the prophets as it would come through that king line, through right. King David, fulfilling God at being faithful, trustworthy. Luke's gospel is showing it all the way back to Adam that God kept to his promise to fulfill the seed. Oh, man, it was amazing. Which, Robert, have you gotten into uh, Mark in priority and Luke in priority and the Q hypothesis and stuff like that? No. So this would be interesting. Um, Andy, when you study the synoptic gospels, which mm-hmm. is Matthew, Mark, Luke, they're so, so similar. There's various different theories about which gospel came first. And I think the, the predominant theory is that Mark came first. As Luke says, others have taken in, uh, uh, into account to write up um, mm-hmm. a history. So he knows other Gospels are out there. Well, what a lot of people say is that Mark was written first, and Matthew and uh, Luke had Mark as a, a format to build upon. Mm-hmm. There's also thoughts that maybe Mark came first, then Matthew and Luke came later. So here's an interesting, here's an interesting thought. If Luke already knew that Matthew had traced the lineage from Abraham, then Luke wants to show something else. He's going to trace it from Adam. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Mark doesn't, I don't, I don't believe, trace the lineage at all. So just for our listeners, in case they want to look that up, sure. go to Luke uh, chapter 3, and then when you start in the genealogy of Jesus Christ in verse 23, it says, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about uh, 30 years of age. Uh, and then if you go down to verse 38, this is where it picks up to where I was talking about through Adam. It says, the son of, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Mm. So it shows that. And I was like, man, I was like, you know, when Scripture starts going off of Scripture, showing and pointing each one, it's, it's so key. Mm-hmm. That's very true. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we can know that the, the apostles, even Jesus, proclaimed that the Old Testament Scriptures was the revealed Word of God. He says to the Pharisees many times, Do you not believe what God has said to you? Do you not know what God has said? And so he is proclaiming. Uh, of course, he was one of the authors. <laughs> yeah. You know, do you not know what has been written for you, what what God has told you. So um, this is an interesting tidbit, Robert. The New Testament quotes the Old Testament 855 times. Wow. That is unbelievable. That's amazing. And the new, I mean, the New Testament is relatively small. I mean, it's 25% of the Bible. And in 25%, it's quoting the Old Testament 855 times. So, so we know that 75% of our uh, Bible was already canonized. It was used in the Jewish synagogues. Jesus was teaching mm-hmm. from the canonized book, the 39 books of the Old Testament. Let's talk about the New Testament. All right, well, I, I gave one question. Let's sure. see if, Andy, do you have a question 
maybe off the something to do with the New Testament or. Uh, well, how about the uh, timing of the New Testament? Like, if it was it written, like I, I kind of know the answer, but I'm just asking to see sure. what you think. Was it written when Jesus was still around, or was it written 150 years later? Okay. And how do we know? All right, so I think this is a point that could be. Um, so that's a two-part question. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so okay, let's, let's. First question is: Was it written around the time of Jesus? Mm-hmm. The second question is: How do we know? And here's the reason why: is because sure. you hear that somebody says, "Well, it wasn't written until a hundred years later," so mm-hmm. obviously there's some embellishment, and it's just it's not firsthand account. Obviously, it you changed know, it's, it's or something. The story passes down, down over the mm-hmm. years, and, and the, then they write it down. And what they claim is, the liberal scholars claim that the stories about Jesus evolved. Right, yes. And that you can't know what the original stories were. Mm-hmm. So you don't know who the original Jesus was, because all you do is have an evolution. And everything is, you know, what is the word? Exaggerated mm-hmm. in mythology. Mm-hmm. You know, here you go, he's originally like a, a, a carpenter who helps people feed fish. And that's why they think that like the feeding of the fish, they will claim was not a miracle. It was just people shared what they had. Yeah. But hmm. it seemed like a miracle. Right. <laughs> well, people, I don't think people shared I don't five think 5,000 people would have went to the <laughs> other side of the lake because they shared fish. Yeah. You see how that gets messed up? Yeah. You teach us how to share again, Jesus. We 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 didn't catch that. No. So anyway, um was were, were the documents written at the time of Jesus, or did they come after? Correct. So, so first of all, um, we have to understand why they were written. Okay. Mm-hmm. When Jesus was here on Earth, he was performing the miracles. Right. He was teaching people. He was teaching in the synagogues. As a matter of fact, the, the, the Jews pretty much didn't believe that he was the Son of God. They wanted to kill him. Mm-hmm. So they weren't writing anything down that he said. Okay? Now, his disciples were listening. His, his disciples, you see many times, they believed he was going to take over Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. He was going to take over Rome, and he was going to reestablish Jerusalem as a, as a political kingdom. That's what they thought. After he died, you know, uh, uh, you, you see yourself there at the... The cross at the tomb, they thought it was over. They were like, well, <clears throat> we just wasted three years of our life. And what do they do? They go back to their jobs. Mm-hmm. I mean, they weren't interested in carrying on his name. But then at the resurrection, they knew he was the son of God. And that's the changing point. And, and from that point on, what happened? Jesus appeared to 500 witnesses mm-hmm. on Pentecost. They're preaching in Jerusalem, and they're saying... The man who you crucified. Who were they preaching to? The same Jesus, crowd. Yeah. The same crowds that were shouting crucified him. All them people saw Jesus, mm-hmm. knew that the tomb was empty. They could literally walk to the tomb and verify whether or not he was in the tomb or not. Right. They could see whether or not the Roman seal was still on the tomb or if it was broken. Mm-hmm. Okay? So those people, you know, they didn't need a gospel tract. <laughs> right. They had literally seen it. And from that point, those Jews, after Pentecost, went back into their own towns and started spreading the message of Christianity. And so for that whole generation, everyone in Jerusalem knew that this Mm -hmm. Jesus guy everyone was talking about, they saw. Mm -hmm. So why is it that the Gospels were written between 50 and 60? Well, think about this. As that generation of people began to die out, new people 
needed to hear about Christ. Mm-hmm. They hadn't personally seen him. They didn't personally witness him oh. showing himself. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Well, I mean, that's so key. I mean, right there, you just stated 1 Corinthians 15. We just talked about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, to me, that's like when the light bulb goes off and you're sitting there and you're thinking, like, that's why Paul's saying, for you know that people have already fallen asleep, mm-hmm. but the majority is still here, and this is why we're writing you. Yep. I mean, that is so key. And when you think about that, like, and you've mentioned this before, even when it came to the temple being destroyed, no new letter, uh, no New Testament letter or epistle had the destroy the the temple being destroyed, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that's that's pretty big, right? I mean, well, that would that, that would and, be mentioned, and that's what's gonna that's gonna help our second question. Yeah. Um, how do we know what the date yeah. is? Um, but to answer your first question, you know, when Jesus told his disciples, "Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature," after he ascended, they didn't say, "Well, hey guys, let's go." Um, Let's go spend six months writing all this stuff down. Yeah. No, they, they went, you know. Uh, Matthew went this way. Uh, John went this way. And, and they were all preaching the gospel. Mm-hmm. But after a period of time, like Robert said, some have fallen asleep, which means some have died. Mm-hmm. And you didn't have as many eyewitnesses to verify the credibility of the gospel story. So then they started recording. For example, Mark was not a disciple, mm-hmm. but he was a student of Peter. Now, Peter's getting up in age, all right? It's a possibility Peter could die. So Mark starts recording what Peter is telling about Jesus because mm-hmm. he knows he has to pass this down to the people he's going to teach. Okay? And, and it's important enough to put on paper. I mean, it's yes. not something that needs to be a story that you just pass on and on. I mean, Correct. That's, they had to write it down. Well, Correct. And, and you think about the martyring that's <clears throat> taken place. I mean, James was one of the first apostles that was martyred um, Christians are seeing this. Right. They're seeing the testimony of the apostles, of the, the eyewitness accounts, proclaiming that uh, a man has raised from the dead, that he is God, that he is Lord. And you can imagine, like, you know, when Nero and all these other uh, higher powers are saying, bow to me, and the Christians are saying, no, we bow the knee to Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a big effect. That's your life. You're proclaiming, you're saying no. There is one who is greater than you. And knowing when you're saying that, that death is going to come. Mm-hmm. So with that persecution taking place, the eyewitnesses account, that's moving all forward to what would take place with the temple and then even with that to the next generation. Yeah, we'll have to get into one day, not obviously not today, but what happened to all the disciples like afterwards. Were you there for that session, Andy? No. See, I preached that on a Wednesday night. <laughs> no, no. Like four weeks ago. Like how they all died. I don't think, I don't remember that one. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I, we, we, really, I had to we, work. we we really was giving you a hard time about Wednesday, but like I had uh, to work. It is coming out. No, more but more literally. Like every four weeks, I okay. have to work a Wednesday. I know that. <laughs> Look, know we that. love you. We love you. Be- before I did uh, uh, about. The canon of scripture that was business meeting, and then before that was how did the apostles die? But that's an amazing story, and that would be great to do next. Well, yeah. well, well on top of your head, can you think you can list just? You don't have to go in deep detail, but how some of them died. Just, just, just a few of the main. Um, I know a few off the top of my head. If you if you can't think of a few, what's, what's the ones? What's Peter? the ones you know off the top of your was head? Was it Peter that was hung upside down on the cross? Uh, crucified, yes. Crucified upside down. Um, Andrew was crucified on like an X, so it wasn't a. Um, a cross, right? But it was more of a, uh, an X figure that he was um, crucified on. Here's my favorite story about Andrew. Okay, go with Andrew. Okay. 
as he was flogged and then tied to a cross. He still lived for two days. And, and you know, they had, they had him up publicly, like on, on the sides of the streets. As he was on the cross for two days, he was still preaching to people <laughs> as they passed by. Wow. Now think about that. Think about the power. Mm. And this guy who knows he's died, he's still preaching the gospel. That's one of my favorite stories. And, and that was on like an X cross. I mean, not a cross, but you know what I mean? <coughs> yeah, like a, like a standard cross. Okay. Yes. You okay? Yeah, sorry. I've swallowed something wrong. Um, <laughs> Need some you, water? You want me to go over them right quick, Robert? Yeah, just hit, yeah, hit that. I think the listeners would love to hear that. I would. Uh, James died in 44. Mm-hmm. That, you know, that's early. That was King Agrippa. And so, that, that was uh, him, right? by, by sword in Jerusalem. <clears throat> yep. Okay. John was exiled to Patmos, of course, died of old age. Uh, Philip, missionary to Turkey, died by crucifixion in 80. Uh, that, that is 8-0. Bartholomew was skinned alive and crucified. Hmm. Um, Thomas was impaled by a spear. Matthew was stabbed in the back by a king's soldier. Hold on one second. Yeah. Go back to Thomas real quick. Okay. Because and, and I read that in the Fox Books of Martyrs as they go through history, and they see that. <clears throat> I'm not saying there's irony there, but, I mean, it's, it's hard for me not to think of the irony of the one, you know, Thomas, who's called Doubting Thomas, because right. he hadn't seen the risen Lord, and the Lord comes to him and says, Touch my hands where they pierced it, touch my side where I had been pierced. Mm. And then he was pierced. He was pierced in the same run through, way. Yeah, inside. I mean, yep. you know, I don't want to read too much into that, like when you, when you think of the, the parallel of it, but it is interesting when you see how Thomas was well, you martyred. Remember, you remember Jesus told him, um, he said that you will drink the same cup that I drink. Mm. You will indeed drink the cup that I drink. Wow. You remember that? Yeah. Um, okay, so we were on to, okay, Matthew stabbed in the back by a king's soldier. He was witnessing to the king, and the king's soldier stabbed him in the back. Uh, James stoned and clubbed, Thaddeus crucified, Simon crucified, Matthias stoned, uh, Paul beheaded, Simon, which is Simon Peter, uh, he was the one crucified upside down. Mm-hmm. And so that was actually all 13, including Apostle Paul. So you, that, that's the main apostles, not like when you think of, because uh, I've heard about Barnabas, I've heard about Mark, some of the other yeah, ones. Yeah, all and, the other ones. And, and not to get in that, but I think if, if I'm not mistaken, but Mark, he was drugged throughout the streets and ripped limb to limb. Mm, behind like a chariot or something? Yes. Yeah. yeah, he was drugged by horses. I mean, so kind of like how Matt Chandler said, and there's like a sermon jam that you can go listen to. Matt Chandler's preaching against the prosperity gospel, and he's like, Killing the prosperity gospel, and he talks about the disciples, the apostles, and how they died badly, mm-hmm. badly. I mean, you listen to this and you think, uh, "Who was filleted alive?" And think about this, Robert. They all went out knowing, mm. knowing they could be torn limb from limb. And you know what we're worried about today? Some Muslims might hurt us. Mm. Mm. Well, don't let the Muslims over here. If the early church had that mentality, the gospel would have never spread. Wow. You know what? If we were more concerned about going and preaching the gospel to them, we wouldn't care if they come here. Yeah. I mean, you think about it. Where, uh, where are they going to hear the gospel? Yeah, not there. And you know, over there, over there, you know, their teachers are teaching them that the way you get into heaven is by cutting someone's head off. Mm-hmm. Or blowing yourself up or... You know, death to infidels. Yeah, mm-hmm. the more the better. 
Anyway, that was just a side note. We believe, in, side note. we believe in the power of the gospel, that that's what changes the power <coughs> of the word of Christ. And yeah, so <clears throat> they went and they died horribly. And to finish up the, what was the second part of that question? Um, um, uh, so about the dating, and I want to touch on this. Um, as you mentioned, Robert, in the year 70 AD, mm-hmm. the Jewish temple was destroyed by the Romans. Mm-hmm. Now, what that means is that the Jews could no longer perform sacrifices. Um, they could no longer have any of the Levitical priesthood function. Basically, the whole concept of the Old Testament law of righteousness through um, the shedding of blood, which I just read that this morning, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. None of that's possible. No atonement's possible. No Yom Kippur. No... <laughs> Help me with some of the, the, the Jewish festival days. Rosh Hashanah? Is that one? <laughs> Rosh Hashanah? Wow. No. Um, that was pretty good. <laughs> you know, no festival of lights. No. So none of these acts, un- unless Jesus Christ, like in the book of Hebrews, is the high priest. He is the sacrifice. Right. And it is completed and finished. I mean, that's why when you were talking about Hebrews earlier, so key mm. to a New Testament believer of understanding the function of what Jesus did, right. the sacrifice of what he did, how his finished work completed everything, and all Scripture points to that. And this right. is why his name alone is worthy. This is why he gets all the glory, honor, and power that, you know, the, the sacrifice system, the sacrificial system was completed through him, by him, and for him so yep. that his name alone may receive all worthy. Amen. So. Um, and, and so that was destroyed in 70. Hmm. But the thing is, no New Testament book, no gospel, no letter, even uh, Revelation, none of them mention that the temple has been destroyed. So Which was a very big deal. I mean, I mean that's it, the biggest deal. In, that's the biggest deal for the Jews. You know, since Jesus, yeah. the next... Huge deal is the temple's not there. Okay. It's like if you wrote an American history book after 2001 and didn't include the World Trade Center. Exactly. Hmm. I mean, that is a perfect illustration to the catastrophe. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got to think, for them, this was the dwelling place of God. This was the Ark of the Covenant. They had had this thing for a thousand years. I mean, what is, in America, the most sacred spot in America? I mean, the most, the most treasured, the most... <coughs> what represents America? Um, well, it's got to be where the Declaration of Independence or Bill of Rights Maybe or, the Statue of Liberty? Statue of Liberty. Well, that was from France. White House. <laughs> I mean... Um, I mean, I'm, monument. I'm going to go... Washington gonna, in general. I, I'm going to go with you know something in Washington. Yeah. Let, let's just say the White House, okay? Yeah. Okay, but, okay. Imagine, imagine if, if the Syrians came over here right now and destroyed... The White House. You ever seen the movie White House Down? Yeah. Isn't that what it's called? White, White House, House Fallen or something like that? You know. Olympus Has Fallen yeah. or White House Down, one of the two. Yeah. Same thing. Um, imagine that Sorry. event happening and then someone writing a history book and not mentioning the most significant. Yeah. You know, you think about Pearl Harbor, how big a deal that is. Yeah. Or, or 9-11. And imagine the central piece of culture being torn stone from stone, and no one talks about it. So that's why we date all the New Testament books before 70, Mm -hmm. that they were completed before 70. 
and you know, just to, so I'm gonna I'm gonna play the the opposite side for a second. Okay. So I'm gonna play like the person coming to you and questioning, or even trying to be defiant with their questions. Because <clears throat> I think you explained it well there, but what if they come back with like, well, so what? I mean, that doesn't prove. I mean, I get what you're saying mm-hmm. by saying, all right, you think of 9/11, and for us, that being the World Trade Center, the hub of trading and business mm-hmm. in America. I mean, that was a big blow. A lot of lives are lost. Mm-hmm. And if that wasn't recorded in history from mm-hmm. this point of American history, that would be a big deal. So, but what if they say, well, so what? That doesn't prove nothing. Mm-hmm. How would you continue on with what you just stated, or is there more that you can go with that? I'm, I'm trying to think of a, something similar. If your house burned down, mm-hmm. And you were telling your friend why you moved into a new house. And you were writing him an email about your new address. Don't you think you had mentioned that your house burned down? Mm. You would think so, yeah. Yeah. I mean... And, and you got to think, for a Jew to become a Christian was essentially denying all the Jewish leadership. You were committing social... Suicide. Mm-hmm. And to not mention the fact that, well, guys, uh, there's no way can, you can be a Jew because there's not even a temple. If someone who says, so what? That doesn't matter. They're not thinking in a first century Jewish mindset. Mm, and that's, I guess that's what I was getting at because I'm thinking about the majority of the writers, if not all of them in the New Testament, were Jewish men would that not be a big deal in their life? Because, I mean, you would think, wouldn't that even help their case? Think about it this way. What is the most holiest place for uh, Muslims? The mosque? Or, um, oh, no, I can't think of it. Mecca. <laughs> Mecca. 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 Yeah. 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 Okay. Let's say, you know, some country, I don't know. Had an attack there. Russia. Some country bombed Russia. Mecca and destroyed it. Yeah. Every single Muslim in the world would be flipping out. Mm. That's what happened in Judaism. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it was the end. It was the end. Because in later writings, it would be told. Yeah, Jos- and, Josephus. Yeah. I mean, you know, he came years later. What about the ones who were right there? Yeah. So, so which is, and so while we say that, that is key to show you more of a timeline to bring it in there from the crucifixion to the destroying of the temple. That hey, look, we don't know the exact date, but we know that it was in this period. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're what sixteen years out from nine eleven, mm-hmm. and and check this out. Like my daughter can know about it because I was watching it live. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I don't, you know, I don't have to have a book to tell my daughter because the mm-hmm. eyewitness was still there. Yep, yep. But once I die, she's going to have to read it somewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm. You see what I mean? That was one of those moments when you just got to go, mm, mm. That's, mm. A, that's, that's like that steak. That's a mm moment. Put that marinade and, and on there, a little 57 sauce. I was going to say something else to Andy's question about the timing. And it, it zoomed past me. But so basically, well, okay, you said was were they written written when Jesus was still around? Right. Well, here's the deal: after Jesus's resurrection, 
how many days was he still on the earth till the ascension? Was it 40, 40 days? 40, 40, 40 days. 40 days, yeah. And then he's in heaven. Okay, so he was only around for 40 more days. Right. Okay. But all of the New Testament documents were written when his eyewitnesses right. were present. That's the important thing. Because if they were written 50 years later, 70 years later, 100 years later, then we would say, well, how do we know they're not embellished? Mm-hmm. How do we know they've not been manufactured? You know yeah. how they? How do we know they're not just the stories of legend about this? This, you know, I mean, kind of like the stories of Gandhi. There's stories of Gandhi doing miracles. There's stories of Muhammad riding a horse, uh, you know, mm. through the night sky. Well, how do we know that that stuff wasn't made up? As far as in the New Testament, mm-hmm. it's because the people who wrote them were the eyewitnesses. Mm, that's big. All right. And here's another thing. Let me oh, mention this. Let me mention this. If I wrote a story about myself. And I wanted to say, kind of like, let's say I'm Joseph Smith, and I tell you, hey, guys, I found some magical golden tablets. And the angel Moroni told me that God got it all wrong in the New Testament, and I actually have revelation from God. Okay? How could you discredit my account? I mean, I mean, if I tell you, hey, Robert, I saw a unicorn this morning, how are you going to disagree with me? I'm going to say, uh, prove it. <laughs> I mean, or... The unicorns don't exist. But see, see, but, see yeah. it's only based on my testimony, right? Right. Well, then I would say, are you willing to die for that testimony? So here's the, here's the great thing in the New Testament. None of the New Testament books were written by Jesus. Right. Every other religious book, the Quran... The, the Book of Mormon, they were the writings of that prophet. Right, yeah. Now, now I believe in the case of uh, Muhammad, you know, his, his wife wrote them down. Actually, I heard someone say that Muhammad couldn't even read. So I don't understand how he knew what the New Testament said yeah. if he couldn't even read. But they were written by those persons um, you know, in the case of Joseph Smith, it was himself. In mm-hmm. the case of Muhammad, it was his wife. That's why the Bible, it's written by 40 different authors hmm. That's in a good point. three different languages yep. mm-hmm. over a period of 1,400 years. So it's, it's, a, it's a supernatural document. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not one, one story of one person. <clears throat> it is... Many, many, many accounts saying the same thing about who Jesus was, and then he comes and he fulfills every single one. Okay, so we got about uh, 10 minutes to do this right quick. Do you have something? Uh, Yes, I would like some... uh, So the disciples, apostles, they've been martyred. We're moving on. We're moving now into the the next century, the next writers. Do you have some uh, early church fathers, some quotes towards the New Testament, towards the Scriptures that you can give? Uh, I think I do. Matter of fact, we don't even have to go to the second century. We can stay in the first century to see that the church fathers were quoting from the New Testament books, mm-hmm. thereby affirming that the early church was viewing these books in the New Testament, the 27 books, they were already affirming them as Scripture. All right. Now, a lot of people say, I've had people say, well, well, how do you know those Gospels are true? There's other Gospels, the Gospel of Thomas and the, you know, the Gospel of Mary and on mm-hmm. and on and on. Now, those documents, we know they came much later yeah. because they're Gnostic documents, which is a religious offshoot that didn't believe in the, um, 
uh, didn't believe in the humanity of Jesus. They deny the the incarnation, you know, on and on and on. And 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 so they manufactured documents to fit their presupposition. Um, but the 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 church never affirmed those types of documents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those were like in their day, like the Book of Mormon. They were different documents all together. Let's start out with um, a guy named Clement of Rome. In the first century, he wrote a letter to the church at Corinth, and he quotes from 10 of the 27 New Testament books. So by the... Now, now you know, I mean, if I'm writing a letter to you, mm-hmm. I'm not going to quote from Romans, Galatians, Hebrews, Revelation, Matthew... You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So you say, well, why did he only quote from 10? I mean, good grief, he's writing a letter. Right. It's not like he's writing a systematic theology textbook. That's a good point. So the fact that he quoted from 10, that I mean, when's the last time you wrote an email to someone and you quoted 10 different <laughs> books of the Bible? So, you know, this is what he was doing. He was encouraging the churches, and he was using the, you know, just like uh, if, you, if you read one book of the Bible, let's say you read Romans, well, where's he going to quote from? Well, I think from Romans chapter, you know, uh, 5, 6, he's normally quoting from Genesis. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, he's not quoting from every single book. So, so what I'm trying to say is, he was encouraging the churches and, and supporting their status with the scriptures. Well, and, and here's what it shows: even though he didn't quote all 27, he quoted 10. It shows you that they were writings, they were letters that were out there that Correct. churches were passing them. They obviously had some knowledge. He had some knowledge of those letters, of those scriptures going around. And so it's, it's kind of like you said, I like the, the point of if I was to write you a letter, depending on what I'm addressing, I may quote one passage from Romans, mm-hmm. or I may have to quote another one from Galatians to build that case, showing that I'm not cherry picking. But to be able to quote 10 different uh, books from the Bible on whatever topic I'm bringing to the table, that would be very intensive. A long letter, it wouldn't. It just wouldn't make sense. You know right. what I'm saying? So, right. to be able to quote twi- ten, <coughs> that's huge. Yeah, and he was before the turn of the century. Exactly. Mm. So that just goes to show you right there that it was that the books were written. Oh man, early. that's so good. That is so good. Yeah, that is really good. Um, then you have mm. another guy named Polycarp. Is that the guy you were trying to think about, Robert, the other day? Polycarp? Yeah. Wasn't it him? That sounds like a Pokemon if you try to catch (laughs) on Pokemon Go. Um, He wrote a letter to the church at Philippi. He was quoting from 16 books in the New Testament. I mean, wow. You know, the fact that he had access to all 16, and this is in 120. Mm -hmm. You know, we always talk about, well, you know, each church didn't have every single scroll of the New Testament. They were expensive. And they were passing them around from church to church. Correct. And, and then it took scribes them. time. Yes. I mean, it took them, yeah. you know, how long would it take a scribe to make a copy of the book of Acts? It would oh, take man. a while. A long, long time. time. Well, and you, and you think... It's, yeah, it's not just writing it down. I mean, you have to write it down legibly. Yeah. yeah. And you, you want to go slow. If you, if, and here's what the scribes did. If they <clears> messed up one letter, you think about a scroll. I mean, the yeah. scroll of the book of Acts would go from that wall to that wall. If you mess up one letter... Start over. You have to start over and Which start like thing over. Which is eight or ten feet behind us when he said wall. So that's huge. Yeah. Yeah, you and, can't just throw a page away. You no. can't throw the whole thing away. Well, yeah. and, and you want to be faithful to the, to, the, to the Word. If you're believing that this is your life, mm-hmm. that salvation comes through by the power of the Word, and you're willing to die for it, you don't want to mess up on a, on a big word. And, and, you, right. and you mess, you know, 
and pass that to the next church. Well, you don't need that. You yeah. know, it's okay. Yeah, you don't. You don't want to be that guy. No, you don't want to be that guy. I, I, I would be trying to invent some whiteout, no doubt. <laughs> some papyri out. Some papyri out. Like, like mixing some mustard and some little clay. Little you clay. Know, a little bit of. But anyway, why is there um, spit? spit all on <laughs> this papaya? This one's smudged. Oh, Jesse, Jesse did that. Oh, yeah. Jesse did that one. Yeah, you'd be known as that guy, <laughs> Jess Iris. Jess Iris, yeah, Jesse Iris. Um, so that was in one twenty. Uh, Poly- yeah, go ahead. And Polycarp uh, was he like John's disciple? I don't, I don't mean to say it like that, but you know what I'm saying. He was like a John's right hand man, right? Or was who, it who? You basically you're saying um, who was Polycarp? Who was Polycarp? I think Polycarp was John. He, he was John's like who he went with and and wrote. In which, well, it says that he lived from sixty nine to one fifty five. So, uh, well, see, see, oh, oh, yes, uh, Saint Jerome tells us that Polycarp was a disciple of John, <laughs> and John had ordained him bishop of Smyrna. See now, so everything that Polycarp was getting, he was getting straight from an apostle. And you think who lived the longest? Would have been John. And, and you, so Polycarp you, was a smart dude. So, smart mm-hmm. dude, getting that first hand, which... Can you imagine getting the first copy of Revelation? Wow. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. That's uncanny. Like, did, did you just make a punny? Was that a punny? No. Uncanny. Yeah. Canon. Oh. Canon-y. Oh. I don't know. But actually, it is canon. It is canon. It is canon. It's not uncanon. It is canny. Um, it let's is talk canon. about Justin Martyr. <laughs> Justin Martyr lived um, roughly 100 to 165 AD, so sometime in the beginning of the second century. He mentions the memoirs of the apostles being read in the uh, churches on Sunday alongside the writing of the prophets. So not only were these letters being used from the apostles, but they were being used as teaching in the churches. Hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. The churches were preaching from them, so they were, they were reading from the prophets, being the Old Testament, and they were reading from the apostles, being the New Testament. So by the early 2nd century, the churches were using the Old Testament and the New Testament in the same sense as Scripture. Okay. Um, Irenaeus uh, in 180 writes that the number of Gospels is four, being Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. Uh, Eusebius. Uh, wow, that's the first time I've heard that. Which part? Uh, about, I can't even say his name, but the guy with the eye that you just Irenaeus? said. Irenaeus. 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 Yep. That he confirms four Gospels. Mm-hmm. I'm putting that in the nugget bank. So people say, well, well how do you know that there weren't many Gospels? Well, Irenaeus uh, tells us that there were four. Yeah, I mean, if there were many, many <laughs> Gospels, why not say the count of what you meant? You know what I'm saying? And see, a lot of people think that there was some church council mm-hmm. where the, uh, you know, the bishops got together and voted on the books. That's not how it happened. No, the churches over the process of the, the first century, second century, third century already knew which books confirmed the Old Testament and which didn't. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's yeah. like... Well, speaking of that, go back just a little bit. Talk about Marcion. Okay, so Marcion was actually a heretic. Yeah. Um, he believed some very unorthodox things, but in Marcion's writings, he already, by the early first century, uh, had a, a form of a canon containing 10 of Paul's letters. So not only do we see the formulation of um, the number of Gospels, we also see the formulation of Paul's letters. So mm-hmm. I think if we go... 
uh, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus, Philemon. That's ten letters. Because mm-hmm. the you know the letters to the Corinthians would have been considered the same. Letter. Right, right. So that's ten letters. So so in the middle of the first century, I mean, if a heretic is quoting um, or claiming that Paul's gospel was or, or Paul's letters were ten, mm-hmm. we know the number that was being circulated. Mm. So now, okay, so okay, I'm trying to track with you here. Yeah, I'm a little slower. Um, <clears throat> why are you using the heretic? It's just showing that this is the conversation that's taking place. He's confirming certain points, and it's good to use. Well, Marcion. Okay, let's take today. Let's take let's take a a, a branch of Christianity. Okay, that would not be orthodox. Who would you consider? Hmm. Well, like what? just for example, let's say the Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay. No, right. no. Let's not do. Well, well, let's go there. Do they use sixty six books in their Bible? Yes. Yes. Okay. okay. They don't believe point. the same things we do. Correct. But now they've changed things. Right. But they use the same books we do to try to affirm what mm, we believe. Okay. I mean, when you meet a Jehovah's Witness, what are they going to argue from? They're going to argue from Scripture. Yeah. So even though even even though Marcion, now he was rejected by the church. Right. See, okay. The, okay. The church now, rejected I'm tra- him. I'm tracking. Mm-hmm. But his writings tell us that there were ten of Paul's letters. Okay. Okay. Now now here's the deal. It's like using Josephus to validate the historicity of Jesus. Josephus didn't believe in Jesus, mm-hmm. but right. he wrote about Jesus and the followers of Jesus. Okay. So yep. even when you've got a heretic or an enemy who's confirming what we believe, it shows us that it was not just fabrication within the church community. Mm. Even those outside the church community are also verifying the things that we see. That's good. Mm-hmm. Um, good point. Okay, <clears throat> so Eusebius in 300 AD details that the New Testament, or the, the canon of Scripture, contains uh, four Gospels, Acts, the letters of Paul, letters of John, letters of Peter, and Revelation. Um, he also mentions that James, Jude, and Hebrews were being disputed because of questions about their authorship. Now, I think this is really, really cool. I think it shows us that the church was so... They, they didn't just accept something. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they didn't just get a copy of First Peter and say, Oh, well, this says First Peter. No, they examined it. Mm-hmm. And they really wanted to know, was this written by an apostle? Was it written by an eyewitness? And does it confirm Scripture? Mm-hmm. If it doesn't confirm Scripture, it's not Scripture. God is not going to disagree with himself. So, so, And this is the same mindset that when they, the canon came about for Scripture, they had to meet these criteria, right? Well, that, this is what I'm saying. See, okay. what we're seeing, we're seeing the process of canonization over time. Yeah. It didn't happen in like, um, you know, 350. They say, okay, these are the books. No, over time. So, so what we know is by three hundred, mm-hmm. the kind the canon already contains the gospels, already contains Acts, Paul, John, Peter, Revelation, but they were still disputing James, Jude, and Hebrews. Mm. Okay, some okay. some churches were not using them. Yeah. Some churches were using them in the canon. Okay, but eventually. Um, So within the 4th century, so from 300 to 367, we find that Athanasius tells us that the 27 books of the New Canon are formally ratified by the church. So, for example, and this is where I was answering Gary's question, even though they didn't know for certain who the author of Hebrew was, they saw that all of the theology in the book of Hebrews affirmed the rest of the authority, uh, the rest of the authority in the, the New Testament and the Old Testament. There was nothing contradictory, 
everything supported uh, the purpose of evangelism is support. You know, Hebrews was a, a tract towards mm-hmm. Jews, um, much as Roman was, was really for the Gentiles. Or Ephesians for the Gentiles. When exactly. You think of, uh... so, so Hebrews was written for, for, the, for the Jews. And they said, man, this is such a strong argument for the priesthood mm-hmm. of, of Christ that this has to be Scripture. You know, we affirm that this was inspired by the Holy Spirit. So Hebrews, James, and Jude, they were, they were canonized. And by 367, we know that all 26 books, were 27, were in the New Testament. Um, now, you get there to uh, 1,300 years later, Martin Luther still doesn't like the book of James. And, <laughs> and, and, and people throughout church history have considered certain books shouldn't be in the canon, but they always have. And I think that shows us the balance between, um, um, as I always say, Romans, Galatians shows us... Uh, it shows us that salvation is not of works, but James shows us salvation that works. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm. There's yeah, two different sides good. of the that's coin. Good. So like God knew what he was doing when he inspired the canon, and, and the books that we have are there because they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Um, the last thing I want to touch on, any questions before we... Yeah, yeah. Before we go, I know we're wrapping up. we got maybe three minutes, sure. four minutes. Okay. Because... <clears throat> We just hit a lot. And mm-hmm. if I'm a listener, I'm taking all this in, and I'm trying to be able to explain. Give me, like, five quick tips, really mm-hmm. short summary, what we could say. A letter or for the canon. It would have to contain salvational information, right? All right, first of all, how do we know? How, let's, let's ask, how do we know the Bible has not changed? We have over 5,000 manuscripts from the uh, second and third centuries. Okay. Second, third, fourth centuries. The earliest manuscript copies were composed within a hundred years of the disciples. So, so for example, Andy, um, the earliest manuscript that we have a copy of, do you know when it dates from? No. Robert, do you remember? I I do. I just can't recall. Uh, If I'm not mistaken, it's going to be the... You're talking about just the New Testament, right? Correct. It's going to be from Um, the Gospel of John, and it's going to be early, early first century. Well, yeah, I thought we were were getting a little more specific than that. uh, 45? Okay, so so 45 uh, really... They may not have been even composed then. Okay, I'm but those familiar. were now. Now those were the originals. Okay, so the originals were copied, and copied and copied and copied. The earliest fragment that we have comes from one twenty-five. Oh, you're talking about the earliest one that we actually have today? Yes. Oh, okay. I yes, that's what I'm like, saying. Yeah, what we have first, the earliest written? copy that we have. I'm sorry. And I think that comes from Papyrus fifty-two. Is a scrap of uh, John eighteen thirty-one <clears throat> and uh, eighteen thirty-seven. So, you know, we have copies of manuscripts that date 1,900 years to the original. Now, in contrast to that, most other documents of antiquity, their earliest copies date 1,000 years after the originals. Example, Josephus wrote a book called The Jewish War. The earliest copy that we have comes from the 10th century, one zero. That's a thousand, almost a thousand years after the original. So we have 5,800 copies of Greek, 10,000 copies in Latin, 9,300 copies in other languages, 
Even if we didn't have any Greek manuscripts, we still know what the original translations said from the other copies that we have in Latin, other languages, Syriac, um, which <clears throat> on on. Is, is a huge deal. I have a book, and I can't remember the, the title of it right now, but it's from like 1890, 1880, somewhere mm-hmm. around that frame. So beat up, so worn out. But, I mean, that's 120, 130 years mm-hmm. of, of me having this book. Yeah. That's, that's huge. I mean, and the, you think about the, 1,900 years? Well, the lifespan of a document... I mean, you, you think about our documents now. You know, we print on acid-free paper with lead-free ink. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And how long will our documents last? Well, I mean, you look at a book that's 100 years old, it's starting to fall apart. Yeah. 200 years old, you've got a gem. And, and think about original copies of, like, the King James, 400 years old. Mm-hmm. You know how rare those are? Now, check this out about the Dead Sea Scrolls. They were composed before Jesus. Mm. Wow. Mm. Meaning, and, and here's the thing, they were, they were sealed in the dry climates of caves in the desert in clay jars. They lasted 2,000 years. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but, but the, the word, word of our God, God endures forever. forever. Mm. <clears throat> so, you know, you asked me, what are, some, what are some bullet points that we yeah, can give? Let's, let's wrap up on five bullet points. I think the first one is the number of copies that we have. Number of you copies. Know, when, when you have a Bible, Robert, what do you have? I have the ESV. ESV, okay. Gospel Transformation Bible. I like reading from the NIV. I like reading from the New King James. Yeah. Um, any translation, except for the New World Translation that you're, and the Message Bible. That's not a translation, by the way. Um, <laughs> it's still good. But if you go get you an ESV, an NIV... Uh, HCSB, a New American Standard, those translations are based on over 5,000 original copies of the Greek manuscripts. Yeah. Okay? Now, the thing is, you know, if we had one or two copies, we could say, huh, I wonder what they really said. Mm-hmm. We've got 5,000. Mm-hmm. We know, without a doubt, you can look at the, the spectrum, the majority manuscripts, and see what the consensus was and what they said. Um, two... Um, and, and, and this goes back to being a Christian. How do we know the Word of God is the Bible? Because God says it's the Bible. Okay. Amen. Nice. Now, you may not can use that argument for an atheist, but you can use it for you. Mm-hmm. The Word says that uh, Psalm 119, uh, the statutes <clears throat> of the Lord are perfect. Uh, His Word endures forever. Isaiah 48, 2 Timothy 3.16. Um, all Scripture is, is inspired by God. And we should do a segment on uh, inspiration mm-hmm. where we talk about what does that mean. We'll do that sometime. Secondly, the Word of God says it. Thirdly, the early church fathers affirmed it. Mm, okay? That's good. I like that one. Thirdly, the early church fathers affirmed it. Fourthly, the documents were written by eyewitnesses. They were written before the 70 AD. Mm-hmm. They were written within the first century. They weren't written hundreds of years later. They were written by those who personally saw Jesus. And fifthly, I'm trying to think of a good concluding point. Uh, I would probably say if 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 you got one, great. If not, that it is they all point to Christ. It's not pointing for their self gain, self pride. You see, you see what I'm saying? Like yep. this is pointing to um, Jesus receiving all glory, honor, praise. There's salvation in it. Right. Um, if this was written by man, if mm-hmm. it was written by man, man would come out. You know what I'm saying? Well, let, let, let's do. This. I see what you're saying. Let me rephrase it. They were all written. 
in knowledge of their danger. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Okay, yeah. All right. Every every apostle who we just covered, all of them died. All of them were writing and circulating and preaching, knowing that this message would kill them. On the opposite side of the spectrum, the Quran was written by those who were exerting their military dominance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was written to show the Muslims how to take over people, right? Which literally in their religion means to submit to... Submit to God. is If you don't submit to God, we're going to kill you. Yes. All right, and that's what they were doing against all the um, polytheists who ran them out of... Uh, I think ran them towards Mecca. But the, the development of, of the Quran came over a period of time as they were establishing governmental policies... On, on how to overtake land. Mm. Uh, you know, it, it's showing you how to kill people. The New Testament showing you how to be killed. Mm-hmm. So none of them are doing that for any personal gain. And, and you say, well, what, what would make them want to do this? Why, why would they want to go out and, you know, die for something that, that they know is false? And the answer is that the New Testament was written by those who personally saw Jesus, and they knew that this message was so true that they did not care if they died. They were going to preach it. Even if they were hanging on the cross for two days, they were still going to preach that gospel. Wow. Mm. I think, hey, you know what we should do, Robert? We should condense this down into a little seminar and, and, and have a Gospel Defenders Conference sometime in the spring and teach people how to uh, defend their faith with this stuff. Amen. Yeah, I think that would be amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I think that would be great. And uh, you know, learning church history. Here's what I've here's what I've learned. <clears throat> I'm not great with words, and I don't know a lot of the names. But when you start getting into it, and you start learning, and you start seeing what the uh, the ones that came before you and their understanding of Scripture and what they gave up, man, it just gives you a whole new outlook, a whole new gratitude, a thankfulness. But man, the dots start connecting. Mm-hmm. It starts connecting back. So church history, so key in a Christian walk, um, along with the power of the Word. I think uh, the church history is pretty beneficial, Andy. Um, I do too. You know, I've asked the church on Wednesday nights for feedback, and everything I've got was positive, but I really think, man, learning what the early church went through and what the the church went through the whole time. You know, I mean, even the guys in the Reformation who were still dying for what they believed. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, you know, maybe we could do a podcast on that. I mean, that's something I absolutely... Oh, guess just... what? October 31st, Oh, we... we're doing a Reformation podcast. Are we marking that one down? Mm-hmm. Oh, we're going to yeah, do it, Marking man. that one down. So, well, <clears throat> in- encourage our listeners to be here on Wednesday nights, along with Sunday morning, if they can, as you continue to go through church history. Do you know what you're teaching on this Wednesday, if uh, or the in the coming weeks of church history? Well, uh, let's see. Last... Wednesday, I covered the Didache, Mm -hmm. which was an early document towards the end of the first century uh, that talked about the teaching of the apostles. Um, So we're moving into the uh, second century looking at some of the early church fathers like Polycarp and Justin Martyr, people like that. Amen. But uh, I would encourage our listeners to, number one, subscribe on iTunes if you've not done so. Like us on Facebook, Gospel Defenders on Facebook. Um, share it with someone. This this episode was like 10 times more awesome than I even thought it was going to be. And I think it's going to equip you. It's going to be beneficial. Share it with somebody. Share it with an atheist. Uh, give them something to talk about over your lunch break at work. 
We hope it blesses you. Shout out to my wife. Happy Valentine's Day. You want to say anything? Happy Valentine's Day to Jennifer. Melanie, love you. Love you. Amen. Uh, God bless you guys. We're going to conclude with a uh, worship song uh, in the edit here and uh, look forward to seeing you next time.
there.